Welcome to the NAREJ NYREJ podcast. I'm your host, Rick Kaplan. My guest today is Jonathan Adelsberg, and he is with Herrick Feinstein LLP. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Nice to be here this morning, Rick. Well, I'm glad you could make it this morning. Monday mornings are not usually uh, my best. <laughs> yeah, but you know, if you were energized watching the uh, marathon yesterday, um, and and then you got an hour, another hour of sleep today, um, Mondays are not that bad. Well, I'll trust you on that. Well, Jonathan, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about Herrick Feinstein LLP as well. Sure. I'm the co-chair of the real estate department. Um, Herrick Feinstein has been around probably close close to 100 years at this point. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have grown up at Herrick. I've been here for 27 years, which is unheard of in a New York City or national law firm. And our practice is a well-rounded practice with a particular focus on real estate. And we've focused on real estate, truthfully, since the inception of the firm. Um, our practice includes every area from leasing to acquisitions, to joint ventures, to distress, to construction, to borrower-sided lending and um, and uh, uh, financial institution lending. Um, we have a particular focus on, you know, fa- uh, real estate disputes, and we like to say we have a particular focus on resolution of those disputes. Um, We've represented some of the biggest families in town with regard to transition issues from one generation to the next generation and dividing significant real estate portfolios. Um, And um, we'd like to believe we're one-stop shopping. We also have a significant land use practice and condo practice as well. And um, our name, you know, we're proud to say is uh, plastered on so many of New York City's uh, landmarks. And I say landmarks not in the traditional sense. Yes, in the traditional sense, but also with some of the most significant and uh, monumental projects in the city. So, Jonathan, you know, there was so much going on in New York City during that pandemic time. You know, everyone was hearing all the stories about how people were moving out of the city in, in, in groves. You know, they were just abandoning everything. Uh, and now everything's starting to come back. How, how do you see all of that? Have, have you seen a, a major change? Well, look, not to sound... Um, I, I'm using the word narcissistic in the sense as a New Yorker. So when I say narcissistic, I mean we're New Yorkers. And we know objectively that New York is the greatest city in the world. It's the city of finance. It's the city of the finest medical institutions in in the world. It has more culture in terms of theater, arts, and Broadway, and Lincoln Center, and Carnegie Hall, um, and, and the sports arenas we have in town. So there's no other city around the world like New York. Um, and yes, we've experienced our challenges, but New York is also one of the most resilient cities um, we've seen. Um, and so, yes, there are challenges, and every few years there are new challenges. And um, 
we as creative thinkers, both on the legal side and on the business side, will find a creative way to um, to address all of these issues. Do, do you think that um, it, you're in law? So do you think that now uh, some of the contracts of, uh, for leases, for uh, building new multifamily projects in the city, opening up retail locations, things like that, have that has that made a impact since the pandemic? In the look, there's, yeah, look, Rick, there are noticeable changes in the way business and people live since the pandemic. Um, what people have said and um, what the pandemic did was take something that you would expect to happen over a 10 year period and it happened over a two year period. So. Um, did anyone accept Zoom like we're on right now? If we went back a few years ago, I'm sure we would have done, been doing this in person. Um, and so did um, people expect, truthfully, in such a short period of time that technology would allow people to work at home so quickly? I don't think so. And did anyone expect, or maybe they did, that's why they invested in Amazon, that you know people purchase everything on Amazon. Without a joke, you could buy a coffin on Amazon and you could buy a tube of toothpaste on Amazon. So um, the fundamental dynamics of how we live have been changed. With that said, you've seen a significant uptick on real estate. You've seen a significant uptick on, on street traffic. Uh, try to get a reservation at a restaurant, um, both for lunch and for dinner. And even if it's a really good place, of course, you can't get the reservation. And even a mediocre place, you have trouble getting a reservation. So you've seen a transformation in terms of, you know, places that people like to go. There's also a fundamental enjoyment of shopping. People like to go into stores. They like to touch. They like to feel. And I think the stores and the retail that's succeeding is that they having there's there's been a greater force to creativity at all of these places. Um, there's an expression that's been used in recent in recently that I think is really too exper you know experiential real estate. So there's something for the kids to do. There's something for the adults to do. There's the store is more enjoyable to go into. So all these transformations you've seen in the retail market have been have been significant. Um, I can also say on a personal level, um, I've seen projects in the retail area that I've not seen in a really long time. Um, on the on right on not even the periphery, but really the center of the New Islanders UBS arena, um, we're working on the development of a off-price luxury retail center with 160 with approximately 160 stores. I'm doing, I have a, you know, uh, I have not done a shopping center transaction in years. And we have a very significant, I'm working on a very significant multi-state, including New York, shopping center acquisition. Um, and then if you look down the streets of New York, you look at Brooklyn, um, you look at uh, Long Island City, um, there is a an uptake. Now, there are significant big boxes in the city that that are that are challenged um but you know time will time will heal those those places as well so you see a very positive outlook for the retail industry uh where you know, 
probably be even before before the pandemic, people were really having uh, troubles with that in that segment of the industry. Uh, right now, it doesn't seem like it seems like it's going in a, a positive direction. So, so look, look, Rick, you know, everything comes down to it. Has there been a recalibration of prices on rents? Yes. Have landlords and tenants become more creative in their approach together? Um, I'm seeing a return of what's called, uh, not even a return, uh, the concept of percentage rent, where if retailers do particularly well, they share a certain amount of those profits with a landlord. That used to be a mechanism that we typically saw in suburban shopping centers and that type of of um aspect to to retail leasing is coming into the into play in a way that's been creative and and I think in many respects successful time will tell um but yeah there is an uptick um because I think people want to be out people want to socialize um and um I think I think when you walk into a store, the, the people that are working there are far more accommodating and and uh, encouraging and talkative than they've ever been in the past. Well, I think in general, people tend to be, you know, you come out of a, any kind of a pandemic of, you know, of any kind of uh, isolation. You know, when you're seeing people now, you know you you have to have a different outlook. You you have to enjoy them every time you come across someone. I happen to like that because I'm more of a personable person. I like to socialize. People that like to hibernate, I guess they might not like it. They might love the way they. Uh, but I think overall, most people are social. Well, I think you could compare it to. What is the city like when you have the first warm day in April? That That's okay. The first warm day in April, you have all the lo local news channels going to Central Park and Prospect Park and Long Island City Parks and the world, New York City, just literally figuratively and literally blossoms with people going out. Okay. And post pandemic, I think, which we're still living in is that, that, we're social beings and we like to be out there. So true. So true. I, I mean, I, I believe that as well. Uh, but you know, you you talk with a lot of optimism uh, because uh, and, and I'm sure you see it as well. You're seeing. Uh, well, let uh, me, let me, let me qualify the optimism. I mean, the optimism is also tempered with some real challenges that the city has right now. Um, um, the office market is incredibly challenged. Um, whether it's real or it's not real, there's a perception that crime has increased substantially. There are concerns about homelessness on the city, on the streets. Um, there, the, the city has not put in, uh, the state has not put in an affordable housing program that allows for developers to put shovels in the ground since the 421A has expired. Um, so um, it, it's it, there. There is a substantial contradiction of what, in fact, is happening. The restaurants are packed. Unfortunately, the offices are not packed. So it's it's uh, it's 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 truthfully a um, you know whatever I say in terms of optimism, I'm going to have a colleague or somebody in the industry who's going to tell you the exact opposite. 
my optimism is based on the fact that New York is New York. And if you were at the marathon yesterday, you would have felt that. But uh, I did not run, by the way. I was just a spectator. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is it's it, it, there is a profound contradiction of what's happening right now. Um, and those contradictions, I think people want to be in the city, but I think in some respects, people are fearful to be in the city. People, you know, it's generational in terms of who's in the office and who's not in the office. But I fundamentally believe that the city needs to have people in the office and to grow as a person and as a professional, you need to be in the office. So so long term view, I'm very optimistic. Short term view, I'm very concerned. Well, are you seeing a lot of the footprints of people that are in the office segments of the industry where a lot of their tenants are renewing leases, but they're looking for a smaller footprint? So so there's a different dynamic that's happening that started to emerge before the pandemic. Um, um, the, the nature of office use, even before the pandemic, was moving in a direction of reducing your footprint, but at the same time expanding. So through creative architecture and engineering, you've been able to fit more people into smaller amounts of space. Um, you know, traditional large partner offices with conference tables are a thing of the past. Universal or two size offices is the direction. Even the most significant, um, when I say significant, you know, the biggest names in law and industry are moving in that direction. Um, so there has been a substantial decrease in the amount of space generally. And then, um, unfortunately, coupled with the fact that um, people are not coming into the office has exacerbated that situation. So even with, you know, renewals, I mean, the statistics that the brokerage firms are putting out speak for themselves. Um, most, not all, are reducing footprints, but at the same time expanding in terms of what they're doing with personnel. So it's a contradiction between the two. And, and unfortunately, the offices are not filled the way they should be. Um, Friday is not even on the agenda for people to come into the office. It, it just it's a it, it's a four and I'm not suggesting it's a three day weekend in terms of of you know what you do on a weekend, but the the city is offices are pretty much vacant on Fridays. Well, do you think that was also probably in the making as uh, as we go forward in time? You know, with all the new technology, do you think that Eventually, that was going to be part of uh, the 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 format of a office worker. I don't know personally. You know, I'm a lawyer. I'm not a sociologist or <laughs> a, or or a real estate broker or or a real estate owner. I service the industry. Um, you know, people of a certain level. Um, particularly during the summer, um, found a way to work at their homes outside the city um, or to work from home. That was a trend, um, you know, that was seasonal. Um, you know, I I don't know if people digested the impact of technology per se on, on the workforce. Um, and I, for one, expected there to be greater attendance. We have a great attendance record because personally, if we're serving an industry that's reliant on people being in the office, um, 
I really demand that of, of our, um, our associates and my partners. Well, it, do you have, uh, you just serviced the new city of New York, correct? No, we have a, na- we have a national practice. Oh, our okay. practice national. is national. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're all over the country. So is it, is it easier? Well, it must be easier now with all the new technology to be able to communicate with a, an attorney that's in Arkansas that might be able to help with something that's going on in New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, most of the look, the money sources are very frequently from New York. We've done a tremendous amount of work. Um, we don't know obviously where it's going for, on the uh, Tel Aviv stock exchange. The Tel Aviv, um, the Israel bond market has been a source of substantial, substantial funding to a number of our clients on the, on, on a numerous projects. So obviously, you know, so so communicating um, internationally via Zoom or otherwise has been um, the world has become much smaller overnight. So um, notwithstanding what I said, the use of technology for people not to be in person on international national transactions, it's been quite effective. Well, you know, I've always said this about this industry is that uh the people that, especially in the Northeast, the people that are in this industry, most of them have been in, or their companies have been around for a hundred plus years. Uh, a lot of the bigger, uh, larger uh, real estate companies, commercial especially, and they always find a way to adapt. They always figure out a way going forward. So when you talk about retail, yeah, they have that downturn for a little while, but they figure it out. Same with multifamily, things like that. So, look, I, I think one of the needs for revitalization is 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 the return the return of substantial private private uh, public partnerships that have been um, have been the catalyst to some of the most significant developments we've seen we've seen in the city. And I think those projects um, have the wherewithal to really have a transformative effect on economic revitalization and further growth for the city. Um, and I think I think we haven't seen too many in the recent past, but if you look at some of the most significant projects we've seen, um, you know, going back a bit of time, have had really profound um, transformative effects on the city and and New York State generally. So you're saying that uh, a lot of these major projects that uh, because of the cost of the land, the cost of uh, doing uh, the business, uh, materials, things of that nature, you're saying that a private and public uh, partnership makes more sense? If you look at every, you know, I shouldn't say every, if you look at a good majority of the most significant projects around town, there's been an element of private-public partnership. Yankee Stadium, um, the rebuilding of of, of the airports, um, Hudson Yards, even the post 9-11, even though it took a number of years to redevelop, uh, Freedom Tower, and that entire area in Lower Manhattan, um, 
there's been private and public money that have gone into all of these projects. And initially, um, the World Trade Center was a private-public partnership. Port Authority built that. And the landfill, when they dug everything out for Port Authority, that's for, for the for the trade centers, that was the real, um, they were able to build, um, um, I'm blanking on the name right now, um, they were able to build, um, you know, the community next door on the other side where Brookfield Place is today. Um, and that entire area was fostered by private-public partnerships. So, um, you know, um, those have been the catalysts for, for redevelopment. Those have been the catalysts for economic uh, vitalization all, all, all over the place. Well, I know a lot uh, Battery, of... Battery Park, I'm sorry. I, oh, I Battery Park. <laughs> okay. Battery Park City. Well, I'm glad you remember. I didn't want to get a call two o'clock in the morning that you remember that name. <laughs> but the same thing's happening with Cor you know the Cornell Technion development. It's it's these have been uh, uh, look. They've been incredibly complicated. They've been incredibly costly, um, but they have really substantially added to the vitality and the growth and the revitalization of the city historically. Well, I think a lot of multifamily property or, or multifamily developers, they're looking for that type of uh, relationship because that's the only way they can make uh, an affordable housing project work at this point. Well, if, if the, the greatest concern for developers and keeping people in the city are taxes. Um, right now, without an affordable component, it is nearly impossible to put a tower up whether it's a of, of any type um i can tell you that um we get calls almost almost daily of do we have any insight as to what's happening with an affordable program and 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 it's 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 heavily political there's no question about it um but the fact is um in order for shovels to go in the ground there needs to be tax incentives and tax relief um on uh, it is the, the the cost of doing business in new york is 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 unbelievable and so with that you're not going to see um too much residential or any other type of development to be perfectly honest um until there's a recalibration of what's appropriate taxes to allow to allow um these developments to occur. Okay. Well, I guess that's something to work towards for, for the, for the state <laughs> and the city yeah. and the city. Correct. So Jonathan, if someone wanted to find out more about your company, uh, do you have a website? We have a website. Um, we, you know, as I said, um, we really pride ourselves that, as I mentioned, when we started this podcast, that, um, if it, if it involves dirt, our hands are on it. <laughs> and um, we're we're traditional real estate lawyers uh, in the truest sense of the word. And, um, you know, I'm proud to say that my practice has evolved. It's changed. Um, I sort of live for the special situations where there's the, the greater the complexity, the more I want to be a part of it. Um, and, um, that's really what's distinguished us in the marketplace. Um, and, um, it's a fun place to be.
you know, we wish we wish that there was more opportunity at this moment in time. Um, you know, we're on the cusp of of dealing with a tremendous amount of distress and workouts and um but you know one person's um loss is another person's gain. And I don't mean to be callous when I use that expression, but there will be um people, you know, you do see some significant owners turning back the keys to their lenders. But at some moment in time, somebody's going to acquire that asset and it's going to be really creative of how to reposition. We are a national pra a practice with national reach. So, you know, if you look at my deals, they're all over the country. Frequently, the money is 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 coming from New York. Um, and in this market right now, um, you know, we're looking for our clients are looking for opportunities outside the city for all the reasons that we've we've discussed. But um, we are New Yorkers. Okay. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I'm talking with Jonathan Adelsberg, and he is with Herrick Feinstein LLP. And I want to thank you again, Jonathan. Very informative information. And uh, any last words before we sign off? No, it's Rick. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I think we're 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 in for a really interesting next few years. Um, but I think creativity is going to prevail. There are going to be some significant changes um, that occur. I think that we will need governmental intervention to to give us the injection to facilitate moving in the right direction. Um, but this is New York, and New York will come back. And um, the challenges make us better, not weaker. Um, and I think the political forces are quite challenging today, but inevitably they will change, and um, you know we'll be a better city for it. Well, again, thank you, Jonathan. And you've been listening to the NERJ NYREJ podcast. I'm your host, Rick Kaplan. Until next time.